right, let's rock and roll. Whew. All right, we're just going to transition a little bit. Look, this is what happens when the Holy Ghost falls. There's people that are receiving prayer, people that are in the anointing. But then there's also people that have to use a restroom, and that's okay too. Right? Just get used to the new normal. That's just how it works in the family of the Lord. Amen? All right. Why don't you guys open up to Romans 13 as I just do a couple announcements. Let's just get ourselves set up. Woo! All right. Awesome things happen. February 19th at 6 o'clock, right? We have a healing night, deliverance night with um, uh, Clayton Collins from Ohio. Very powerful time. Those that were here, right? Um, we had Jamie uh, leading worship. Are you, in, in you, are you in town that night? All right, awesome. I know word's getting out. Um, some people from uh, Bucks County. Thank you. Some people that I know are going to be bringing some of their congregation down because uh, the word's going out, right? What's the word? The word's going out is that the presence of the Lord is here. The word is going out uh, that, you know, a woman with four, stage four breast cancer was healed uh, by the presence of, a, of the Lord in our midst. So come on, it's time to get excited with that. Really excited. That is signs and wonders, calling it forth, okay? Next, we also have, of course, March 18th and 19th, we have our healing and deliverance kind of uh, conference. There'll be some more details uh, dealing with that, of course. Uh, and then, not that I want to like rush all things. Oh, oh, this is one I want to slow down on. So I'll come to that in a moment. But Men's Fellowship Breakfast will be this Saturday. And of course, Men's Retreat. All right? So uh, like we were saying, the cost, $70. Don't let that stop you. Um, if you don't have the money, just come talk to us. And uh, we will find a way. Okay? With that being said, uh, also on this February 19th weekend, um, February 20th, uh, Ruth will be uh, teaching. So it's great because, yeah, clap it up for her. Um, it's great because, um, you know, with the snow of, what was it, of last week, right, both Ruth and Clayton were going to be doing that power-packed weekend. And so, interesting enough, it just rescheduled for a couple weeks later. That's just, yeah, it's the way, the way that's happened, okay? Yeah, right? If, you know, if it snows then, I might just be like, listen, guys, we're just going to truck it in, you know, at this point. All right, very excited, right? Uh, the Ascend Conference is taking place March 3rd through 5th. Um, I really encourage you to come down to uh, Philadelphia. Um, if you go to uh, Facebook, particularly the P. Todd's uh, Facebook, you can uh, see the, uh, the, the breakdown of, of the location and everything. Um, right? Has that been publicized yet or no? Okay. I figured if you go to P. Todd, right, you have a link to it. But official location was zeroed in? Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, please go there. We want to not just partner with Jamie, which is one thing, which is cool. We really want to partner with what the Lord is doing in this hour. Um, Jamie had a, a prophetic word and some people in his team uh, about uh, uh, Isaiah and the sing O barren one. And uh, I've been feeling this whole notion, as, as the scriptures say, Rachel, Rachel cries out for her, her children. And it's this notion of Philadelphia, guys, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but, you know, um, deadliest city in America in 2021, okay? Like more murders than anywhere else, right, where the statistics um, which is pretty phenomenal in a bad sense, especially since Philadelphia's population is actually quite smaller than the other big cities, right? 
Uh, and so this is like a prophetic act that like mothers and fathers, right, in a sense, who, who are going to be mourning and crying out for their children. We, we really do believe that there's an anointing uh, that is going to arise out of Philadelphia, that from those ashes will be a sense of mourning, but from the, that mourning will be an empowerment of the Holy Ghost to see a revival break out and for um, young men particularly uh, to be revolutionized by the power of God. Okay? And so, you know, it's important. It's strategic in prayer and worship to make that declaration over the city of brotherly love. Amen? From the womb of the nation. Amen? Awesome. Um, look, the Lord's doing something. We were going to do communion today, but we're not as of now. We'll see how the rest of the day goes. The Lord, we just got to be in the streams. We got to be in the living stream and see what he's doing. Amen. And so any tithe and offering, as usual, you can bring it off to the back, but we're just going to, we're just going to reside in the presence. I don't want to rush things, but I also don't want to be, uh, caught up in the schedules of men and how you do church. So we're just going to, we're just going to wait on his presence right now. Whew. Because he's doing something. He's doing something. And I don't want us to miss it. Mm. Come on, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, come and first shut off people's phones by the power of the Holy Spirit. And two, come and show up, Lord, in a fresh way. way. Come on. Father, just declare right now that you restore the I-it relationship. And the I, moving from the I-it to the I-thou. I apologize for those that are watching <laughs> and those that are here. If I'm just pacing back and forth, I'm not nervous. I'm not amped up on caffeine. It's just when the Holy Ghost comes upon me, I just got to move sometimes. <laughs> it's like too much to contain, you know? Whew. Romans 13.8. Owe no one anything. Have no debts. Except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. <laughs> owe no one anything. And you owe no one anything. Have no debts. Love. So we're in this narrative series, uh, and this one right here uh, might be a little bit more internally, internally focused, meaning we can get all roused up about the different narratives and what is marriage and what is biblical masculinity and what is biblical femininity. And it's easy for us to get all riled up about that because, you know, in many regards, we could be sitting on the outside of that looking into it. Because you, you yourself already have that kind of mentality, right? You already have an understanding of a sense of what, what marriage is before the Lord or, 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 or what masculinity is before the Lord and, and leadership and love and all that. And so it's very easy to come into an agreement with that because for the most part, I would hope that most people in the church are kind of standing on the outside looking into that, that problem and that chaos that the world is trying to dig up and try to spin, right? This one's a little bit harder because for many of us, and I think more than you even think, this is one that you, we may be residing in. 
And if you're residing in it, it's going to maybe not sting, but it, it might be a little harder to decipher. Uh, and it's this notion uh, that the church itself has been residing in a spirit of I it opposed to I thou. I'm going to explain that a little bit here, right? So Romans 13, 8 talks about not having any debts, owe no one anything, do not try to receive a debt from another person in the spirit. And there is this paradigm in the scriptures. Uh, in the Older Testament, right, we have this whole concept of the, the Sabbath year, the sabbatical year. You have a concept of uh, the Jubilee year. Uh, and for those of you who are you know, not accustomed to those Older Testament uh, paradigms, What's going on in that kind of circumstance is that in every allotment of years, every seven year and then every jubilee year, what would happen here is that you were in the nation of Israel, you would have to forgive any monetary debts that you had over someone. Would anyone like to go back to the Old Testament, at least for that one, right? Right? Your mortgage company's like, all right, you, you had your time, you're now free, right? Student loans, it's gone. All debts are forgiven, they're gone. And also what we also have here is slaves would now be set free, okay? And so what's going on here? Here's a very interesting law, which is in reference to this, what I believe the Lord is saying about this narrative that the church needs to get a hold of, and it's this. Why did the Lord make these interesting laws of the Older Testament? What is this thing going on here in Romans? What's happening here is this law of the Older Testament, which we so quickly want to just kind of, you know, not read about, is this. It is a, a, a reminder and a hedge of protection to make sure that society and people understand that people are not objects and people are not products. People are beings made in the image of God. And so this is what we're getting at here. This is from a uh, somewhat famous or influential uh, Jewish philosopher, Martin Buber has a book entitled, I, It, I, Thou. And in it, he is making this kind of conclusion that mankind has been viewing God and people as it, instead of use. Right? I don't mean use as in like a Philadelphia way, but I mean like thou, right? I, it. If, if, you're, if you're sitting and residing in a place of I, it, what's happening here is you view people and also God as a commodity. What can you do for me? Uh, if you move into the I-thou, you view people and you view God as a being. And really, it's the difference. We would say like an I-it relationship is when we view the church, when we view God, when we view our brothers and sisters as a thing of transaction, not of relationship. Now, this is very, very important to speak into in the 21st century because it is, it is my opinion that it is so rampant um, that many people in the church can't even see their way out of it. I've even had some uh, interesting and weird recent developments uh, here at church where I realize that many people like the image of having a church, but they don't want to be churched. Uh, and the revelation that a lot of people like the idea of having a pastor, but they do not want to be pastored. There's a big difference. You can have a church and not really engage in community. You can have a pastor, and, but not want to be pastored. Because it's the image of things opposed to relationship of things. It's transactional opposed to relational. And it's very deep, um, and it's very, very much so uh, in our generation right now. And we need to get set free from that so we can see a manifestation of the power of the Lord. Uh, it was said th this way. Uh, people were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos 
is because things are being loved and people are being used. Things are off. Now, okay, you know, we can say that from the outside. Yeah, look at those heathens. That's how they live their life. But let's, let's take this and let's bring it into a narrative of the church. The reason why the church, in my opinion, is listening to the world's narrative and many, many things is because comfort is being loved and God is being used. This should get you. Um, I, I'll be honest. I mean, this, you know, I, I was preparing this and then in worship today, I was just like, I just need to fast before the Lord. How much of my relationship to God is viewed in a transactional way? I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to worship you because I have a belief and I've been taught a theology that if I do X, Y, and Z, you will give me something that I need and what I want right now. Uh, transaction before relationship, right? I've said this before. is essentially a spiritual pornography, right? That's what it is. You're using the Lord. Uh, and we got to be very, very careful, right? And so I feel like the Lord is saying that we really need to restore this I, thou, this I, you, O oh Lord, relationship between us and God, but also us between our fellow brothers and sisters, right? And so this raises a, some, some deep narrative kind of questions that I really think you need to have a sober moment as I had during this week and ask these tough questions. Why do I pray? Like, think about the last time you prayed, hopefully today, or last night, and what is the motivation behind the prayer? It's usually, in my opinion, when I'm talking to people and even looking at my own life, it's a honey-do list. Instead of honey, it's God. God, do this. Then, therefore, you're reviewing God as an it, an object. You're viewing God as an ATM machine. If I hit the right numbers, you're going to spit out what I need. And you'll draw it from a bank account until you replenish that bank account, right? Yeah, you draw things from the Lord, and you're like, well, okay, I've used enough from him, and I've gotten got enough from him, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to build up some spiritual capital, right? I'm going to pray a little bit more. I'm going to worship a little bit more and not really talk to him about what I need for a little bit so I can build up the bank account again, and then I'll hit the numbers again, and he'll spit out more. Many people in the West view God that way. You're laughing because you know it's true, and it's probably true in your own life. If it's true in my own life, it's probably true in your life, let's be honest. We need to get delivered from this, but it's a societal thing. It's to receive a transaction. So are we coming to faith and we're coming to the Lord and we're coming to one another as, 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 as an ATM? And we're looking at it as a transaction or do we pray and do we worship so that we can cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus to adorn him with majesty, to adorn him with honor? You were created not for a transaction, you were, you were created for a relationship. But too often we will fool ourselves that we're in a relationship so that we can get something. Come to faith so that you do not go to hell. It's a very pressing theological question, which I'm not saying is the truth, but it's a very interesting question in an abstract way. If God, Jesus, was not in heaven, would you want to go there? I mean, you can have everything else of heaven that society and culture and bad theology has taught you, right? All this wonderful stuff and these wonderful gifts and all of your loved ones and everything is peaceful and the lion lays down with the lamb, which is scripturally true. But we'll keep all of that, but God won't be there. Will you still want to go? What is the po point of coming to faith? Is it to be saved from hell's fire 
or is it to step into relationship with the eternal one? They're different. They're different. But many of us come to faith, like say this prayer, believe this, so that you will not go to hell. Then therefore, that is a transactional thing. If I accept, I get something. What I'm saying here from a, from a theological, spiritual place is, look, check your heart. Do I want to come to him because of all of the transactions, or do I want to come to him because his eyes stare at me with beauty? What is it? We live in such a transactional, commodified, objectified society that it's completely leaked into theology. It's completely leaked into many ministries. It's completely leaked into so much. Like, I, 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 just, I, I just can't do it anymore. And I don't want to cast out complete judgment because I don't know. And God knows their hearts. But, like, there, there's so much on, like, the metaverse of Christianity where it's just there's so much self-promotion. It's so much come to my thing. It's so much so into my thing. That's like so much. And it's just making me like want to vomit where I'm like, holy cow. Like everything's a transaction. The Lord, interesting enough, now this is too radical for, for, for most Christians. It's not too radical for Orthodox Jews. It's very radical for most Christians, to be quite honest. We just can't handle it. We can't handle it, so then what we do is we just, like, put a, a, a ruse of, like, grace over it. The grace of the Lord, so we don't have to. Such a messed up version of grace. I tell you who's got the grace of the Lord right now is, is Mang right now. Look at that. Come on. She's encountering the Lord. Look at her in the front row. When she comes to the Lord, she says, Dave, Dave, Dave can you just pray? I want, I want the Lord to heal my hands so I can go to Cambodia and lay my hands on people. That's what she's engaging right now. She's not praying that the Lord would, would provide for her mortgage. She's not praying the Lord would give her a new job. She's praying, oh, Lord, heal my hands so I can go to Cambodia and lay my hands on my brethren. To see them count on the Lord. That's the grace of the Lord we need. That's not transaction. That's relationship. Come on, Lord, just fall on her right now, healing right now. Come on. In Jesus' name, healing in those hands right now. So she lay her hands on a people on our ancestral homeland and see revival fire break out in the Holy Ghost. Come, presence of God. Come, Spirit of God, right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, encounter, Lord God. Not as a transaction, Lord, but as a means to bring forth your glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. Come on, Holy Ghost is here today, guys. He's here. Exodus chapter 20. This is the protection from the transactional spirit that unfortunately the church has not gotten. I love talking about this stuff. I love like talking, I mean it sounds so horrible, right? But I love like talking about like what, what narratives in the church have we just adopted that are completely not biblical. And we just like throw like, oh, he, the Lord is gracious and you know, he's not legal. There's no legalism. So we're just going to get rid of things and do what we want. Transaction. Why don't you just go to the ATM and type in 7777 and get your little money back, right? That's, that's, that's what's going on. This is powerful stuff the Lord has set forth to make sure that we do not live in I-it culture and society. That we just forget about. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything. So this is 
You know, we say like, well, you're not supposed to make any images of the Lord. No, no, he doesn't say don't make any images of the Lord. He says do not make any carved images of anything. Of anything. Wow. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Wow. All right. So, you know, we, we've, we probably have all heard, like, different lessons and teachings, maybe, on the Ten Commandments, right? Um, I mean, they're ten, right? Oh, so many funny things with that, but we'll save that for another time. Right? One is, uh, why, why would the Lord say, do not make any engraven images? Do not make any idols of anything that's on earth, anything that is in heaven, anything that is in the water, Right? And it's really, you know, the basic teaching is this, right? Because the pagans, right, the polytheists were making these images as idols that they would worship. And so other false religions are doing that, so do not do like them. So don't do that. Amen. I love it. Two, well, you can't make these idols and these statues of particularly God because God is a living God. He cannot be confined to an image. Amen. 100%. But there is a lot more there. And it's a little bit more of a rabbinical and Hebraic kind of way of looking at the commandments. It's this. The deeper analysis of this commandment is, by not forming idols, or rather not forming engraving images, it's this. To keep a people, to keep a people from forming a culture based on idols, iconography, which all leads, and this is the power of thing which all leads to an image-centric society. This is the reason for the commandment. If you make these things, if you engrave these things, you will behold the beauty of these things, and now yourself will behold the beauty in you and others, and you will become an image-centric society. That is the reason. That's the real deep spiritual well there. If you do these things, you pave a way to create a society and a culture that is obsessed with the image, the image of all things. Not just the image of God, but the image of yourself. The image of our church. The image of things. You care more about image and objects and objectification than you do about relationship and deep wells. That is what's going on here. Okay? Now what's very powerful with this is this. When living in a world of images, right? Images are objects that we make. I'm not just talking about like a Catholic statue of Mary here. I'm talking about the images that we make and we construct for ourselves before people. They don't have to be physical. It could be theological, they can be philosophical, it could be an image that we portray. Images are objects. Objects create a false pretense that you actually know something by seeing it. It's a little bit more of a philosophical out there message today. I apologize. Look, it's been said a picture is worth a thousand words. Right? We've all heard that, right? But... How many pictures and how much revelation can be made manifest by a single word? Think about this. Retrain your mind right now. You see a picture, a picture's worth a thousand worlds. We have been taught in our culture that digital space, digital imaging, uh, pictures, living a life of the eye is so profound and so awesome. But come on, man. You see a picture and obviously you can come up with a thousand words that's been said. But just think and allow one word to resonate and to stop and think about all of the complex abstract, deep 
things that can be drawn from just a simple word, not an image. Ready? Words. Jesus. Now, we don't do this anymore because we live in such an image-centered society. Think about that word. Jesus. All of the complexities, all of the depth, all of the nuance, all the profound natures of philosophy and theology and love and grace and redemption. Just one word, if you actually stopped, not try, try to create a picture of him, but if you reside inside of that space. Jesus. One word. Another word. Yahweh. Another word. Love. Another word. Atonement. Redemption. Holiness. Majesty. They're just words. But if you don't see the thing, and you just hear the word, you're forced to what? To contemplate, to think, to be deep. This is what is going on here in the Ten Commandments. God is saying, I don't want an image of me. Because if you make an image of me, how are you going to know me? You're going to know me through words. This is very profound. This is the first time a culture has done this. This is the first time a culture has done this. Our deity will not have a place, will not have a stone, will not have a statue. To know our God, you need to read about him. What? You have to read about him. Huh? What's reading about him? It's this. When you read about him, you get bigger depth. When you read about him, you get more understanding. And to know him, you can't stare upon an image. You have to communicate with him. You have, you're forced to step into a relationship with him. The only way to know the God of Israel is not to stare upon him in, a, in a, uh, an idol. It's to talk to him. Engaging in relationship by the word. That's why the word became flesh. Relationship. Relationship in the word. Not in a stone. Not in an image. It's a relationship made manifest. See, if, you, if he is just simply an image, you don't see his depth or his understanding or his ways. I want to go so far as to say this. If the church is just an image on Facebook, if worship is just an image, if your ministry is just an image, if your marriage is just an image, you don't have the depth. You don't have the relationship. Images produce transactions. Words produce relationships. That's the reason for the second commandment. Not so you don't actually have a stone image of a, like a little doll of Jesus or something. Come on, that's not what it's about. Don't make it a transaction. Make it a relationship. I'm going to protect you from it by giving you a mitzvot, a commandment that you are to do this. But we don't do it because it's the Old Testament. Who cares? Look, man, let me try to explain it this way. If I showed you a picture of my kids, if I showed you a picture of my wife, you see an image, but you don't know them. Come on. You little Facebook and Twitter warriors out there. You see someone say something or write something or put a picture up there or a little headline up there, and you respond to it. This is why Twitter and Facebook is so toxic. 
because there's no relationship. It's only transactions, right versus wrong, might versus right. All it is, you don't know what someone is going through when they post something up there. You have no idea the pain, the suffering, the complexities of their life, of why they would have a certain opinion that is opposite of yours. There is no room for that because it's a world of images. It's not a world of relationship. So you come to your dark, disgusting conclusions about people. And then you just respond with more images. It's an image-centric society. This is what happens, guys. We produce a culture of objectification. Images and living a life of images, and it's not just like literally pictures on Facebook. It's the image that you feel that you need to compel to show people. Produces a mindset of objectivity. And this is what happens. Objects are bought and sold. Objects are its. They're not thou's. Objects are anti-intellectual, they're anti-eloquence, they're void of depth, they're void of meaning, they're void of relationship. So you can have your little fake friend on Facebook, they're friends and they're likes, but there's no meaning behind a friend, there's no meaning behind a like. Repost this meme about Jesus and then you will receive blessings. Or You ever see those memes? Like, it's like, what, what are we doing? Know your God through word, through relationship. Guarding yourself from a fake image-centric society that produces transactional interactions. This is the reason for the second commandment, but we've broken it. We've broken it. We've broken it hardcore. Um, and it's only gotten worse through the birth of the digital age. We live so much through it. Not through relationship. Now, first it was the TV, then it was the computer, then it was the smartphone. But what you have to understand is all of these things reiterate this notion of creating a hyper-image-centric culture and a hyper-image-centric culture of society. And so what we have here now is a church and a society of the selfie. Look at me. Self-promotion. Transaction. Transaction. Relationships are transactions. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? What can we do for each other? It's all produced not out of relationship, it's produced out of transaction. Look at me, now comment. Look at me in my ministry, now pay me, now do this. It's all transaction. But yet the model of Jesus is the transaction that he does is the redemption of the world by laying down everything. It's leaking into the church. This is the narrative of the world, people. A narrative of a world of idols. And what's the purpose of idols? Idols are built to be worshipped. You absolutely can worship your church. You absolutely can worship your image. You absolutely can worship these relationships that are based off of transaction. There are people that worship them all the time. You bow down to them. What can you give me? And if you give me more than I can give you, I'm good. It's a positive and a good transaction. Look, this kind of society that we've created outside of the church and in the church for some part is that all of these images, the images that you portray to others, right? It doesn't have to be a physical image. I mean, I know it's a little abstract. It's a little philosophical. I hope you understand, like, the image of your family. Oh, aren't we so beautiful? 
the image of yourself. Oh, look at this. I have my whole life put together. Or whatever image that you are creating. It could be physical. It could be abstract and mental. What happens here is all of the images are simply a vehicle to sell you something. That's what's going on here. The images are created to sell you something. And it's not something that you can buy on Amazon. It's to sell you something different, a different product. The product is a lie. The lie is this, that men can be used, that God is to be used, that the community of believers in the church are to be used. Romans 13 again. Verse 8. Oh, no one anything. Except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. There is a narrative that is so thick on earth, it's disgusting. Because many people that have grown up in it don't even know that it's a new narrative. It's the hollowing out of relationship. The hollowing out of relationships. They're not deep. They're shallow. They're based off transaction. The enemy is smart. The enemy is a lion seeking whom he can devour. In the past, the enemy tried to separate you from community. Do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. Uh, the enemy operates like a wolf, a wolf pack. If the herd is together, we're too strong. So what the wolf will do is he'll try to separate you from the community, distance you from relationship, and now you're weak and whoom, he'll get you. Now, that worked for a while, and then he got more brilliant. He got more brilliant and more sinister. And he works this way now. If he can't drive you away from the pack, then he will drive you to false, uh, false relationships. Relationships that are not real. Relationships that are fake. Relationships that are shallow. Relationships that are only entirely based off transactions. That's what he's doing. Then you will become fooled and we will become prey. I'll keep names out and don't even try to figure out who they are because you may not even know them. My brief time of being a pastor has shown me a lot, a lot about this thing called church. For many, it's not a church. It's a civic center. It's a mere music venue. This is why it's very easy to go to larger churches where you can just kind of like go in and go out. What I have found here is something unbelievable. Um, I feel and believe through my experience, to be quite honest, um, that people, and um, Jamie, if you come on down, the, the many people, as I said earlier, they, they, they like the image of church. I go to church. I'm a part of a church gathering. But they don't want to be churched. They don't want to be in a community. They'll just show up and then leave. Show up and leave. That's not the church. That's the image of church. It's not church. That's a church of transaction. I come, I give them a little money, they make me feel a little good, they play cool, some cool music, and then gone for the rest of the week, and you come back and you do your transaction again. Look, I, I, I do not want to be a controlling, manipulative leader. But I'm telling you, there is a big difference 
between having a pastor and being willing to be pastored. Number of people that I thought were like really in it to win it here who left the church. That's okay if you leave the church. We're not the only church. We're not like, we got to keep everyone together like this. That's not our heart. That's, that's what cults do. But how can you say that this is your community? How on earth can you say, Pastor Dave, if you drop a major life change on us and don't invite us in? You have to invite the family of God into the decision-making. I'm not saying I want to tell you what the decision is. That's control. You don't have to get my blessing to make a decision. No. That's manipulation. That's witchcraft. That's control. No. But if this is your church, this is your community, if I am your pastor or am I just a pastor? You should absolutely be bringing the ministry team into the decisions of your life. Anything else is just an image. You just have the image of a church community. You just have the image of a pastor. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do and be all controlling and whatever. That's, that's like, that's cult stuff. Hey, I'm feeling the Lord is telling me to do X, Y, and Z. Can you partner with me? Can you pray with me? Do you have any guidance? Do you have any counsel? Do you have any wisdom in such things? Because the Lord has made you a spiritual authority over this church body that I am a part of. Then, therefore, I submit to that. Not that I'm going to do what, only what you say. or No, no, no. But it's a place of honor and invitation. Look, this is the difference of how you view church. This is not just a civic center. It's not. It's a body of believers that are alive and breathing. Where we love on each other, we're involved in relationship with one another. And if you're not involved in relationship here, then there's a very good chance that you are living a lie. A lie of church is an image of what I do, not of who you are. We, and we're not a doing, we are a being. We are a living, breathing bride of Messiah. That's the difference here. It's funny, we were, I was talking to, to someone, and this, the person will know what I'm talking about. This is not directed at you at, at, all, at all, this person, but we were having this conversation the other day about like various forms of Christianese, right? It's like, well, you know, I love when, oh, I, actually, I don't love, I hate it when people are like, church is not a building. Church is not a building. Don't say that. Don't say it. Please do not say, well, church is not a building. Do not say that if you don't believe Romans 13.8. No transactions. Don't you dare say that unless you understand Exodus, the, the commandment. Do not make any images. Don't say church is not a building if you don't even know what that means. Right? Yes, church is not a building. Don't use that phrase if you are just involved in the image of church. Don't do it. You know, all these little phrases we have. Well, you know, we're going to do life together in community. Like, you know all these Christian things, right? 
Well, how do you do life together in community? Well, you know, all these catchphrases, you know, you got to be vulnerable. You need to invite people in. Do life together. Break bread together. Those are all true statements. But you don't have the right to say it. If you go to, if, if you don't have the right to say that if you come to the table. You come to the, the family of God as a place of transaction and not relationship. You don't have the right to say those things. Don't be vulnerable so you get something. Don't do church together if you're looking to get something. <laughs> don't break bread together if you're looking to get something. A friendship, a listening ear. That's not what it is. That's transaction. That's the image of things. You do those things for relationship. From that relationship, yes, there will be some transactional things that happen. But it's the difference of the image of things and the reality of things. But we live in a culture and a mindset in a society that is all I it, not I thou. The church is not an it. It's not an object. It's a bride. The pastor is not a title. It's a place of relationship. Maybe it's because I'm young. I don't know. Maybe because I appear to be busy. Don't call me Pastor Dave. Ever. Unless I am your pastor. Don't give a title to someone if you don't understand the meaning of that title. People make a decision. I, I don't even tell them like, yo, man, that decision's wrong. It's like, it's pretty clear you've made up your mind that I'm not your pastor. Because you've come to these very deep and important spiritual things without any invitation of the people of the church that are involved and praying for you. So don't call me pastor unless you really want me to pastor you. Because I'm not about being fake. I don't like the image of things. It's so fake. No thanks. So how do we do these things, right? How do we do life together? Church is not just a building. All these little ridiculous little Christian phrases that we use to pretend. What we need to do is when we need to come to the bride of Messiah, we need to come to the church at large, we need to come to faith in Christ. And what we really need to do is we need to just learn to get the eye out of it, to get the ego and the image out of it. That's the reason for the commandment of do not have any engraven images. You need to drive out this image-centric society. And it's so hard to do when we uplift the image so much. Now, I told you, right, this narrative piece is harder, right? Because it's kind of like we're looking within instead of looking outside. So it makes it more trouble. Many of you are like, Dave, man, you might be beating us up. I'm not beating you up. I'm telling you this right now. You need to get this right, right now. It's not a beating you up. It's two things. One, it's a warning. And two, it's an opportunity to empower the gospel. Let me break these down and then we'll, and then we'll, 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 be, we'll be finishing up. A warning. The days are coming and they already are in certain areas on earth. Well, you will not have a church building to go to. There will no longer be an image of church. 
Now, I know some of us here are like, no, 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 I don't know if that's going to happen to America. Fine, if you, if you want to take that out of the equation, go ahead. But look, you can't talk like this in the Middle East. In the Middle East, what is the church? In China, what is the church? It's not a meeting. It's not a service. It's not a transaction. It is completely relational. So what is the warning? If you have gone through your spiritual walk, making the church simply an image of doing and transactions, you will not make it through any real persecution or tribulation. You will not be able to hang because you'll have no relationship. You'll just have image. So it's a very strong warning for the days that could be ahead for us in the church of the West because it already is for the church of the Middle East and for the church in China and the church in Afghanistan and the church in Yemen and the church in Saudi Arabia. So it's a warning. The church needs to be a relationship with one another. If it's just an image, you're not going to make it. You're not. Come on, we saw it through COVID, right? How many people do we know that got the building removed? You can still go on on YouTube and Zoom, and they did not make it through that fire very well, did they? Some. We all have the stories, right? Two. By looking at relationship and vows used as opposed to objects, we have an opportunity to empower the gospel. Look. My experience through teaching high school and college for 17 years has been this. Kids don't even understand what real relationship really is. They really don't. So much of it is image-driven, and so much of it is transactionally based. Then, therefore, when they see someone who is authentic and views the world and people and God and church as not an object but as a being, it speaks volumes to them. Because they don't, it's like they can't even comprehend it. It's like, wait, what is this world of being versus this world of objects? When the law sees that you view people not as transactions, but in relationship, they're pulled to the light. This is only going to happen when we stop looking at God as an arbiter of giving us what we want. We stop looking at the church as just like an image of a thing to do. It happens when we say, he is greater than I. Come on, let's, let's stand up. We're going to close out with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Right, it's Paul here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Right? It is no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. We need to come to the table of the church. We need to come to the table of faith and say, you know what? This is not about me. It's about him. It's not about a transaction. It's not about an ATM. It's a holy moment of Exodus 20. Do not have any engraven images. Do not have an image to keep up with. Approach the Lord through words. Approach one another, not through actions, but through relationship. This is a very difficult one to narrate, guys. Because I really do believe... 
that this spirit has fallen on earth so deeply that it's like people can't even completely see it. It's so deep. It's, wor it's worked its way so deep into our culture that people just like show up and, and disappear and there's, there's no real relationship. There's no real engagement and everything's a transaction. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? Oh, Lord, I just pray, Father. I pray that we can be a church and a body that lives out relationship, that we view each other as thous, right, as, as yees, as, as people, the plural you. Lord, that we can view you as, as a relationship. Lord, protect us. Protect us from, what, from, from, from this belief. Protect us from looking at each other as, as, as what can you do for me? I want to bear the burdens of Christ and fulfill. Sorry, bear the burdens of others and fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, Lord, let us, let us be a people who do life together, but not as a phrase, Lord, but really as, as, as a thing. That we would engage one another, that we would talk with, with one another, we'd be in relationship with one another, we'd lean on one another, that we'd submit in love to one another. Lord, that if you're a part of a church, you're willing to be churched, meaning you're willing to step into a community and all the good and all the bad that may come with it. Lord, that you would that, that you'd be a part of a church and you have a pastoral team, that you, that you actually would view them as pastors, not just as motivational speakers. Because, Lord, if I was just a motivational speaker, <laughs> I'd rather just do something else. Lord, I pray a spirit of pastorship would arise, not in, a, not in, a, not in a, an abusive way, not in a controlling way, but in a godly way. Come on, Lord, I just pray. Pray for those people that have been burned through relationships, burned through relationships in churches. We know that happens. We know that happens. Lord, we pray for a healing bomb to take place right now. Lord, that this could be a, a, an actual authentic place. An authentic place. Come on, if we just have, a, I believe we do have a prayer team uh, this week. If you guys want to come on down, I'm just going to, if, if you want to come and receive some prayer for anything, please go ahead and do that. But I just feel like there's an anointing right now for, for the Lord to, to, to do a place of healing. Healing. If you've been burned in relationship. People in and out. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, that's what's going to house a revival, guys. Yes, yes. Have a wonderful week. Do I have our cafe next door? Hope to see you on Wednesday night for prayer. All right, have a wonderful week. Blessings.